following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. If you have been following along with us in worship these past few weeks, you might recall that last Sunday, just a week ago, we experienced something of a shift in our gospel lessons. Each of the previous three weeks, we had been in Matthew chapter 13, receiving Jesus' parables, descriptions, and glimpses of God's dream that invite both our wonder and, of course, our faithful response. But then last week, we moved from Matthew 13 into Matthew chapter 14, and, and with that move from one chapter to the next, we shifted also from parables to miracles, the second of which we just read today. Last week, it was the miracle, the feeding of the multitude. Now this week, Jesus walking on water and calming a storm. The intent of all these stories, these miracle stories, isn't just to wow us, of course. Their purpose is to show us and to invite us into God's new creation, God's beloved community. Parables invite us to imagine that new community. Miracle stories show us both who Jesus is and how it is that he welcomes us into this new reality. And so at the end of today's story, the disciples on the boat offer a profession of their faith, a, a declaration of what they have experienced now about who Jesus is. Truly, they say, truly you are the Son of God. And now by telling and retelling this story, we are invited to join them in that same affirmation, truly you are the Son of God. Parts of this story appear in other Gospels as well. For example, Mark tells us about Jesus walking across the sea and calming a storm. John tells sort of a shortened version of the story. Luke tells about Jesus calming a storm, but leaves out the whole walking on water part of it. But for each of them, including Matthew, the location of the event is significant. Because the sea, you see, was, was understood by the gospel writers and by their original audiences. The sea was understood to be the home of demonic forces, the, the place on earth where chaos still reigns. That heightens the wonder of Jesus walking across it. By not just calming, but now even calmly strolling across the chaotic sea, Jesus demonstrates the defeat of chaos under his feet, proving God's power over the devils of the deep, along with the winds and the waves up above. The one whom we worship is God of wind and water, earth and fire, whom all these elements obey. Among these different versions of the story, though, that we find among the different Gospels, only the Gospel of Matthew that we read today, only the Gospel of Matthew mentions the character of Peter presenting Peter to us as this curious mixture of tremendous trust and terrible fear. Peter's actions and words can be so striking in this version of the story then that we may tend to focus our attention there, to think of Peter as our example to some extent, as though the story is about trying to be more like Peter in his faithful moments and less like Peter in his fearful ones. But then again, we remember, the intent for this gospel in telling us this story is, is not so that we will be more like Peter, of course. No, it's so that we'll be more like Jesus. It is Jesus' identity, not Peter's actions, that are the core and the focus 
of this story. Before Peter is invited out onto the waters, and before the sea is calmed, we are told first that Jesus' disciples have difficulty recognizing him. They see a figure walking among the waves, but they don't perceive that it is Jesus. They are in a boat, far from land, with the wind against them, being battered about by the waves, when suddenly, early in the morning, we are told. Now that phrase, early in the morning, likely is meant to be for us a nod forward to Easter morning. Early in the morning, they perceive this terrifying thing, someone or something walking on the sea. It's a ghost, they scream, apparently all together in one voice. It's a ghost. Now take heart, be encouraged. It is I, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Peter isn't convinced, though, and so he asks for some identification. Lord, he says, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now consider that statement from Peter. It's a rather strange way to identify someone, isn't it? Wanting to be sure it's really Jesus, Peter says, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He doesn't ask to see Jesus' state-issued ID. Neither does he ask something sensible, like, if it's you, tell me where we were yesterday or what we had for supper last night. Nor something practical, even, Like, if it's you, make this storm stop. Neither what is sensible nor what is practical will prove Jesus' identity. And so Peter says, instead, if it is you, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Command me, that is, to come to where you are. Invite me. Implore me, call me to join you, to risk my life. If it's you, if it's you, command me to walk out on the dangerous sea, to go where no one in their right mind ever would choose to go. If it's you, Lord, Peter says, show me that what you can do, I can do too. That's, that's how I'll know that it's you. And indeed, friends, that is how we will know too. That's how we'll know it's Christ who's walking toward us. That's how we'll know it's God who's calling us. That's how we'll know it's the Holy Spirit nudging at our spirits. Because this, this is who Jesus is. Christ is the one who extravagantly calls us. Christ is the one who boldly commands us to leave behind the safety of our boats, to push at the edges of our comfort zones to try things we wouldn't otherwise dream of trying, to step out onto the raging sea, into the messiness of life, where the world is hurting, to show ourselves what our faith really can be. Perhaps we might recall that old hymn as we read a story like this one. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Today's story would have us finish that thought. Calling for you and for me to step out of our boat, to take a chance on grace, and to follow bravely wherever love will lead. For discipleship, for following Jesus' example always, always is risky. Recall where discipleship begins. 
It begins with Jesus calling this same group of folks to drop their nets, to drop their livelihoods, to leave their families, to venture out with him into a place unknown, with no idea what it will mean. Rooted in that and remembering that, it's no wonder then that that's how Peter identifies Jesus. That's how Peter knows that it's really this same Jesus. Lord, if it's you, he says, command me to follow you again. Command me to get out of the boat again. Command me to walk with you on the water, even, even in the middle of the storm. Or we might recall another old hymn. Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea. Day by day, his sweet voice soundeth, saying, Christian, Christian, follow me. In today's story, Jesus doesn't just call us o'er the tumult, certainly not out of the tumult. No, in fact, Jesus calls Peter, and by extension through Peter, the foundation of the church, Jesus calls us straight into the tumult, out of the boat, to walk upon the waves. That's a through line from last week's story, the feeding of the multitude, to today's. Consistent among both these stories is God's insistence on calling for our, our participation. If it's you, Peter says today, both as a profession of his faith and as a reminder for us of who Christ is and how God relates to us, if it's you, then you won't let me stay where I am. No, if it's you, you'll call me to come join you. Here in recent weeks, as I've been getting to know you all and this community a little bit better, I've been appreciating, too, the, the beauty of this building, of course, and including its stained glass windows in our worship spaces in the chapel and here in the sanctuary. This past week, I was reading through the brochure that explains the significance of these beautiful windows, and it's been such a blessing for me to understand a little bit of the intent behind their design. As I understand it generally, the top panels along these windows, again, both in the chapel and here in the sanctuary, the top panels depict something of the character of God. And then the next panel, moving downward, illustrates that same characteristic of God as displayed through one of the stories from Jesus' life. And then below that, the panel closest to the floor shows that same characteristic again, that same character of God lived out through Jesus' life, now being lived through the church, the ongoing body of Christ in the world. I love that design for these windows because that, friends, is the direction of God's ongoing creation in this world. That's how God's dream is becoming a reality. Beloved community is God's intent for this world. Beloved community is the world set right or, or creation restored the way that it was and, and still is meant to be. And God insists through the example and companionship of Christ, through the presence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God insists on working in this world toward beloved community through us. Made in God's image, we are made to manifest God's character in the world through our simple daily actions and decisions. We are made to live as Jesus lived. We are made to embody God's love and justice and peace. Who is Jesus? Today's story invites us to consider and explore. Truly, the Son of God, we might be ready to join the disciples in affirming. 
Well, what does that mean? Well, in part, it does mean that Jesus is the one who protects us and shelters us and keeps us. Christ calms the storms and reaches out a hand to grab us when we nearly sink beneath life's waves. Christ helps us back again into the boat where we can be upheld by and encouraged by a community of folks all struggling together to to trust and to live beyond our fears. But as Peter knows and experiences today, Christ also is the one who helps to make our lives, frankly, more dangerous and more difficult and more purposeful and interesting too. For to be close to this Jesus and to come more fully alive in this Holy Spirit, we too need to get out of our boats. We too need to muster the courage to stretch our comfort zones, to expand our experiences and our encounters with God's creation. We too need to step out onto the sea right into life's storms. Absolutely, to be absolutely certain, our God is a God of consolation. But God does not console us, so we'll be comfortable. No, God consoles us so we can be courageous, so we can take heart, so we can walk where Jesus walked and serve where Jesus served and heal as Jesus healed and feed as Jesus fed and give ourselves away for each other, just as Jesus gave himself away for us all. God consoles us so we can be God's love all the way. And so, friends, if one of these days, maybe it'll be during the night or or maybe during the day, maybe early in the morning, If one of these days you yourself should hear some voice calling your name or or you should feel some nudge at your inward spirit, something or someone inviting you to to get up, to set out, to speak up, to step out, to, to risk the storm and to walk upon the waters into some bold new expression of love, then know, then know that there is a very good chance that that voice belongs to God. For who else, after all, Who else but God would dare to call you into such a life of risk and struggle and unimaginable blessing? For that call, thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.